Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back to the the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly to tell the disciples. I mean, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid and go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Happy resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ Sunday to you all. Uh, Welcome, everyone. Uh, And before I begin, I just want to remind you that during uh, offering time, I want to remind you that uh, from last Sunday, uh, as we heard from Neighbor Corps, uh, if you are able, uh, we ask you to uh, designate a special offering for Neighbor Corps. Uh, that money will be uh, given to uh, their ministry uh, to help those uh, who are uh, in need of uh, transportation. So um, just a reminder for that. Uh, please pray with me. Lord, thank you again for this day that you have made, uh, especially this Easter Sunday as we gather. Help us now in the hearing of your word. To discover the great joy of that first Easter Sunday, we ask in the name of our risen Lord. Amen. This is a rare opportunity for me to give a message to the children. Um, But as I am not nearly as creative or as fun uh, as Miss Kyungye, Miss Yuna, uh, Miss Cat and Cousin Jerry, uh, I thought I'd simply tell you the story of Easter. Uh, it occurred to me that we usually hear the stories of Holy Week piecemeal, and even though the scriptures spend a number of chapters on that Holy Week, we only hear small snippets because of the way uh, our gatherings are structured. And so I thought it would be helpful not only for our youngest ones, uh, but for all of us. Uh, to hear the larger story surrounding Easter. And so today, I want to tell you the story of Easter uh, as it's told by uh, Case de Court. So I'm going to read from this book, um, my picture book, my picture Bible. Um, The author or the the illustrator of this, uh, Case de Court, 
Um, he spent a number of years uh, working with children with disabilities, and so he tried to find a way to communicate the gospel, the Bible stories, in a way that uh, they could understand. And so he made his text as simple as possible, uh, with simple and short sentences um, in German, which is no small thing. <laughs> um, and so, but aside from the text, um, I, I think the artwork is really, really wonderful. And in fact, I would, this is my favorite illustrated children's Bible. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't discover this until my children were far too old to read an uh, illustrated uh, Bible with me. Um, so I want to just tell you from uh, his book, um, there is an English version, uh, which I found on the internet, which um, I don't think is as good. Um, somehow, so I'm going to read to you from the German. Um, not in German. Uh, <laughs> praise God for Google Translate. Um, and so I'm going to read you this version because I think, I think it is better. All right? Jesus is in Jerusalem with his disciples. He knows that he must die soon. It is night. They go together to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, I want to go over there and pray. Wait for me. You pray too and stay awake. Jesus goes deeper into the garden. He is alone. He throws himself to the ground. He prays. My father, help me. I'm afraid. If possible, spare me the bitter suffering. But not as I want, but as you want. Here comes Judas with a squad of soldiers. They have torches and weapons. Judas points to Jesus. This is him. The soldiers capture Jesus. They bring Jesus to the high priest. He asks Jesus, Did God send you? Are you the Son of God? Jesus answers, I am. The chief priest and the other judges say, Did you hear that? He makes himself the Son of God. For this, he must die. They bring Jesus to the Roman governor. His name is Pilate. Only Pilate can put people to death. The soldiers put a royal robe on Jesus. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They make fun of him. Pilate says to the people, There you have your king. But everyone is shouting, To the cross! To the cross with him! Pilate says, Very well. He shall be crucified. The soldiers march Jesus away. He must carry his own cross. This is how you go to the hill of Golgotha. The soldiers nail Jesus to the cross. All the disciples have left Jesus. Only his mother Mary is there and one of his disciples, John. Jesus says to Mary, John is your son from now on. And to John, he says, from now on, Mary is your mother. The important priests mock Jesus. 
he should come down from the cross. Then we would believe that he is the Son of God. Suddenly, it gets dark in the bright daylight. Jesus cries out, It is finished. Then he lowers his head and dies. Jesus is dead. His friends take his body off the cross. Mary and other women are watching. The men lay the dead Jesus in a new tomb. The tomb is carved into a rock. When the Sabbath is over, the women come to the tomb. They want to anoint Jesus. The tomb is open, but Jesus is no longer there. An angel says to the women, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has been raised from the dead. He lives. Go and tell his disciples. Later, Jesus himself is suddenly among them. He frightened them. And Jesus says, Don't be afraid. It really is me. Jesus says, God ordered that I die for you, but he didn't leave me dead. He raised me up. That's the story of Easter. God has raised Jesus up. Jesus has been raised. Christ is risen from the dead. I know that we have become used to uh, the resurrection and talking about it, but on that first Easter Sunday, no one was expecting it. Even though Jesus had repeatedly talked about it to his disciples, it caught everyone by surprise. The women certainly did not go anticipating a resurrection. Matthew says that they went to see the tomb probably to mourn, much like we might go to a a graveyard to remember our loved ones. So when they arrive, you can imagine the terror they must have felt when there is an earthquake and then an angel, all white, looking like lightning descending from the skies and rolling back this massive stone and then sitting down on it. For Matthew... Easter morning has cosmic significance. Earthquakes and lightning are signs of the eschaton. So this is the beginning of the very last days. It's quite dramatic, isn't it? This is an angel who knows how to make a dramatic entrance. In fact, the angel's appearance is so terrifying that the soldiers trembled And the word here is the same word that is used for earthquakes. So while the earth quaked, the human quaked, and they could not do anything and became like dead men. The angel then turns to the women, who are apparently more composed, and these soldiers, to reassure them to not fear, and then tells them to come and see where Jesus' body had been in the tomb. And then the angel commissions the women to go quickly and to tell his disciples that he has risen. At the Easter dawn service earlier this morning, I said that this is the first commission or the pre-commission, that before Jesus gives the final great commission at the end of the gospel, the angel gives his prior commission to the women. 
the two Marys must bear the message that Jesus has been raised from the dead before Jesus can give the great commission to make disciples of all nations. Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is the central message and the foundation of our faith. But it really is difficult to believe, isn't it? A good or an innocent man being killed on a Friday is believable. It happens far too often, even today. But a dead man being raised from the dead, no matter how good, no one has seen anything like that. And to this central claim, we actually have no witnesses. No one had an iPhone placed in the tomb to record that moment when Jesus resurrected from the dead. All we have is an empty tomb and the testimony of some women whom even the disciples initially dismissed as telling idle tales. And yet without it, everything, I mean everything, collapses. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity. As the Apostle Paul wrote, if Jesus has not been raised, then we are still in our sins. We have no hope. We are of all people the most to be pitied. Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's the good news that we are given. In the testimony of the resurrection, we have here a declaration, not explanation. You know, growing up, whenever um, we had anything that was told by uh, someone in our family that was really hard to believe, we would always bring up Mrs. Coogan. Mrs. Coogan uh, was my middle school gym teacher. One day, uh, my sisters and I were at the mall, and on the way home, my younger sister told me that she had seen Mrs. Coogan at the mall. My other sister and I, who weren't with her at the moment when she claimed to have seen her, doubted her and said, no, you couldn't have seen her. There's no way that Mrs. Coogan, our gym teacher, could have been at the mall. I mean, in our middle school minds, we could not imagine our gym teacher at the mall shopping like a regular person, right? I mean, we only see her at school, and not even at school, only in the gym. And so for her to be at the mall just seemed impossible to us. And so whenever my younger sister would tell us anything that was remotely difficult to believe, we would always say to her, sure, just like you saw Mrs. Coogan at the mall. After I got married, my wife claimed that she once saw Shaquille O'Neal in Baltimore. (laughs) And I unwisely said to her, sure, just like my sister saw Mrs. Coogan at the mall. Now, of course, these supposed sightings, whether true or not, don't make any real difference in anyone's lives. But if it's so difficult to believe something as trivial as seeing Mrs. Coogan at the mall, how can anyone possibly believe something as extraordinary as the resurrection? 
If you're struggling to believe, if you have doubts, you're not alone. Notice that the two Marys obey the word of the angel and they run to tell the disciples this good news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But notice that they do so in fear and in great joy. In fear and in great joy. I thought that describes so well how most of us or so many of us have been feeling these past couple of years. Fear and joy mixed together. And isn't that the truth of our faith? Faith doesn't mean not having any fear or any doubts. It just means that fear does not get the last word in our lives. It means trusting in someone who is greater than our fears. And as they go to tell his disciples, as they walk, or rather run in obedience, despite their fear, Jesus meets them along the way. And Jesus says, greetings. Now, if you're reading your Bible and Jesus says greetings, you got to think, that doesn't sound right. Who says greetings? Who talks like that? When you bump into someone that you haven't seen in a long time at a restaurant or maybe at the grocery store uh, or at a Hassan Minaj concert. What do you say? Hey, good to see you. Oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. You wouldn't say, greetings. Right? Sounds like a, a Martian or something, right? So maybe you think greetings or just maybe hi. It's too informal. Jesus wouldn't just say hi, right? You'd expect Jesus to say something a little more religious, right? Perhaps shalom or peace be with you. That's a good one. Now, greetings is a perfectly acceptable translation here. But here in this moment, I think Jesus meant something different and more. You see, the word for greetings is karate, not Cobra Kai karate. And it, is, and it is the ordinary word people would say when they saw it, they would say, kaidate. It's like, hi, okay? However, it is also the word for rejoice. So, for example, in Philippians 4.4, when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, it's this word. Kaidate, in the Lord always, and again I say to you, kaidate. It's not even the same root. It's the exact same word. The exact same word. So while Jesus may have said, hey, what's up? I want to suggest that he's also exhorting them who are running in fear and in great joy to rejoice. Let Joy overcome the fear that you're experiencing. And then look at how the women respond to Jesus' call to rejoice. They grab his feet and worship him. They grab his feet 
to make sure he's really there, I think, right? They, they want to make sure that this is not some figment of their imagination, that Jesus is not just some sort of uh, spirit, but that he's, he's real. And so they grab his feet and they worship him. You can't get more human than feet. And you can't get more divine than worship. This is what joy looks like. It's grabbing the feet of Jesus in joyful worship. When you worship, when you can really see and touch the greatness of God, the aliveness of God, that's when fears are overcome by joy. Now, while it must have been a great source of encouragement for the women to see Jesus, the meeting itself seems a little redundant or unnecessary. The angel had already told the women that he is going ahead of them to meet them in Galilee. So Jesus could have just waited or gone ahead to Galilee and meet them all there as he had told them, the angel had said. But he meets the women along the way, and then he kind of repeats the same message that the angels gave. Now, it's possible that Jesus shows up here because he knows that the women need some extra encouragement. That's something that Jesus would do, of course. But I think there is another reason for this encounter. Notice that Jesus repeats the message of the angel, but he changes one important word. The angel had said, go and tell his disciples. But Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers, and the word there could be brothers and sisters. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. My brothers. You know, this is a really incredible word for Jesus to use. It seems to me that this small revision, this small edit, to the message was important enough for Jesus to change his own travel plans and to make this stop, to stop the women in the middle of their marathon to make sure that they got this right. Go and tell my brothers and my sisters. You know, earlier in Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus' biological mother and his uh, uh, stepbrothers and sisters, they were all trying to get to see him, and they were outside the house. And they said, hey, Jesus, your brother and your sisters and your brothers are here. Jesus stretched out his hands, and he said this, pointing toward his disciples. Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does the will of the father, those people are my brothers, my sisters, my mother's. It was a shocking thing for Jesus to say, to elevate disciples over his blood relatives. But that is the radical kingdom that Jesus is ushering in, where relationships are fundamentally reconfigured in accordance to obedience to the will of the Father. So what happens after Jesus makes this declaration? Did Jesus' disciples, his new brothers and sisters and mothers, live up to and into this new identity? Were they obedient from that moment on 
to the will of the Father? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. As a group, they failed miserably to demonstrate faith, to show compassion, or even to understand what Jesus was talking about. They got into petty squabbles about who was greater. They shooed the children away when Jesus wanted to be near them. Then in the worst week of Jesus' life, Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him three times. And all the disciples abandoned him. They did not do the will of the Father. And so does that mean then that they are no longer worthy to be called Jesus' brothers and sisters and mother? Isn't that how we would judge them? Isn't that what you might wonder if you were in their shoes or sandals, right? If you had failed that badly, wouldn't you think, I'm no longer his brother? Jesus says to the two Marys, tell my brothers and my sisters. They are my brothers and my sisters. They are still my brothers and my sisters. The resurrection confirms what Jesus has been saying and has promised. He gives this word by saying brothers and sisters. He's saying there is forgiveness. There is restoration. There is the hope of reconciliation. By his own perfect obedience to the will of the Father, Jesus makes possible and makes real this new family. You know, this word changes the entire scene for me. I know that on Easter Sunday, many preachers valiantly try to convince the congregation of the historical reality of the resurrection. Because Easter Sunday tends to draw people who may not come to the church very often, ministers often feel extra pressure to preach their best sermon, right? And to... Um, and to make sure somehow that they can persuade those people who might be doubting of the truth of the resurrection. This is not my best sermon. There are reasons why the resurrection is believable. Right? We can talk about all sorts of evidence about the reliability of the eyewitnesses, the fidelity of the scriptural texts, the origins of the oral traditions, and on and on and on. So we can conclude reasonably that the resurrection took place. However, you and I know, and you and I have come to discover, and painfully so in the last few years especially, that some people, no matter what evidence you present, no matter how overwhelming and persuasive you might be, they will not believe. Whether it's vaccine efficacy, election results, institutional racism, or even the sighting of Mrs. Coogan at the mall, for some people, no amount of evidence will ever be sufficient. The soldiers that day, think about the soldiers that day. Do you realize they saw 
exactly the same thing that the two Marys saw. They saw and felt the earthquake so much so that their own hearts quaked. They saw the angel descending, glowing like lightning. They saw the angel roll that stone away. They saw the empty tomb. They had the exact same evidence that the Marys had. And in fact, they testified of what they had seen. They gave testimony to what they had witnessed. They knew better than even the Marys what was going on because they were in charge of making sure no one got in or out of that tomb. They saw the same thing, and yet they rejected Jesus. You know, when I was younger, I really thought that if I studied hard enough, that if I was good enough and could argue better, that I could persuade people of the truth of the resurrection and of the Christian faith, right? Because it, it made so much sense to me. I thought I could, I could argue people into it. I know, of course, that I can't do that now. I know that there are, of course, some people who might be convinced into the truth through reason and argument. But, you know, faith at the end of the day, it's not a matter of facts. The fact of the resurrection ultimately means nothing without the relationship. You can believe that the resurrection happened, but so what? If it's just an event and you're convinced of that even, it makes no difference. Faith is not merely a set of doctrinal or historical facts to be proved. Faith is relational. It's reconciliation. It's forgiveness. That's why this word, my brothers, is so important. It's about trusting a person. It's the ability to say that in spite of my fears, that there is a deeper and greater joy. Without ever seeing Jesus in person, it's a willingness to trust that word because I've come to know him and to trust him. So that when he says, my brothers and my sisters, I trust that word. That's the word that the disciples had to believe. And that's the same word that you and I, brothers and sisters, are called to believe. Finally, Jesus says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. It's like he's inviting his disciples, his brothers and his sisters for a family reunion in Galilee. This is also a little odd. Why is Jesus going ahead of them to meet them in Galilee? Why not just meet in Jerusalem and celebrate the victory of the resurrection right then and there? It's like 100 miles from Jerusalem to the border of Galilee. 100 miles, that, that's, a, that's a long long walk, days of travel. If you and I are in charge of Jesus' PR, wouldn't we want him to stay in Jerusalem? Right? We'd want him to show up in front of Pilate. We want him to show up in front of all those who shouted, crucify, crucify. 
We'd have the angel come down, throw a few lightning here and there, maybe a few trumpet blasts, and then have Jesus come in and drop the mic. Maybe that's not a thing anymore, but you know what I'm talking about, right? We'd make it as powerful and as, you know, like, here it is. There can be no dispute. There can be no doubt about what's going on here. But instead, Jesus says no. He's going to go to the backwaters of Galilee where there's nobody to witness. Not in New York City, not in Washington, D.C., where I can prove my powers to everyone in the halls of power, but in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where only my brothers and my sisters are going to be. Why make the disciples, his brothers and sisters, travel all the way to Galilee? Well, back in Matthew 4, we're told that Jesus began his ministry in Galilee to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and in the shadow of death, a great light has dawned. Galilee is where Jesus began his ministry, and so it makes sense that the ministry of the disciples to make disciples of all nations would begin in Galilee, the Galilee of the Gentiles, in the land of all nations, for all nations. But however, it seems to me that a more important reason for meeting in Galilee is that Jesus is inviting his brothers and sisters to trust his word once more. They had failed to believe his word. They had failed to believe his word. But now Jesus is calling them. He's asking them. He's inviting them to trust his word one more time. To trust the word that has been given to them by the testimony of these two women. And to come and meet him in Galilee. He has been raised just as he said. Will you believe this word? They have not seen the empty tomb. At least in Matthew's telling. All they have now is the witness of the two Marys. Is that enough for you? Will you now believe? And if so, will you meet me in Galilee? In Matthew 26, Jesus told his disciples, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He promised, I'm going to be in Galilee. He's died. Now the women come and say, he's been raised. Will you now believe this word? And they're going to remember. He said, oh yeah, he said, I will see you in Galilee. Without seeing him, based on the testimony of the women, will you now trust that word? Will you believe that he really spoke the truth and will you come and meet me in Galilee? Jesus is asking for a step of faith. Many steps of faith, actually. That's the invitation. Of course, Jesus can meet us where we are. But here he's asking us, hey, take a step and meet me in Galilee. You know, that's one of the reasons why when we do communion, we ask you to come up. There is a sense which we want you to stay in your seats and serve you because it's an act of grace, something to be received. 
But at the same time, we're inviting you to come and take a step of faith. To come not because you're worthy, not because you deserve it, but because Christ has made that invitation. Will you trust my word? Jesus says, I know you fail. I know you have not fully done the will of God. You can't. He knows. That's why Jesus says, I had to die for you. But I have risen. I have been raised. No matter how many times you have failed God, yourself and others, Jesus says, come to Galilee. Trust my word once more. Brothers and sisters, I deliver to you once again the first commission given to us by Jesus. Jesus has been raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures, just as he said. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Believe the good news and rejoice and worship him. Please pray with me. Lord, help us to believe this incredible word In fear and in joy, help us to trust this word. And God, no matter where we have been this week, this year, perhaps even our whole lives, we know that your arms are ever open to receive us. And so help us today, today, to take a step to wherever that Galilee might be for us, to trust that you call us brothers, sisters, beloved, Help us to believe your word once more. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen.